0: Well, I've been at this congregation for two years, and you may have noticed um, that I don't usually change what I had planned to preach based on what's going on in the world. Um, But as it so happens, uh, the Lord has ordained that today we would look at Matthew chapter 24. And this is a passage that is being uh, looked at, quite broadly right now in our society is people are asking about Israel and is this the end times and and all of that and so uh, I look to God and thank you thank him for his grace and his mercy uh, that he would allow us to consider this passage on this morning Um, so we're in Matthew chapter 24 we're going to look at verses 1 through 35 that is quite a big chunk uh, but as you'll see it's important to take this entire section together Uh, That can be found on page 985 of the Pew Bibles. Sounds like everyone is there, so hear the word of the Lord. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak, and alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on Sabbath, for then... There will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, Look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, Look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man." Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. Branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we ask that this passage would be opened up for us this morning, that we might understand, that we might worship you, and that we might repent and believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, it is very interesting to look at this passage on this Sunday when there is war in Israel, when there is an ongoing war in Ukraine, When there's fear, China will invade Taiwan. There was even a terrible earthquake in Afghanistan this past week. And I imagine if we opened up our newspaper, there would be more headlines and events that sound a lot like what we read here in Matthew chapter 24. So people are asking, is this the end times? Well, we don't begin to answer that question by reading 21st-century headlines back into the Bible. We begin to answer that question by starting with the Bible in the first century and then working our way forward from there. And as I hope to show us this morning and into next week, if we look at the clues that are most clear in our passage this morning, We will see that what Jesus is talking about here is the time period between his crucifixion and when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. We are no longer waiting for a sign. Jesus could return at any moment. Therefore, we ought to be ready. That is the message of Matthew chapter 24. So, here's our outline for this morning. First, we're going to look at God's judgment on his rebellious people within this generation, meaning the generation that Jesus was speaking to at the time. Next, we're going to look at what it was like for them to wait for that judgment. And then finally, what it was like when that judgment arrived. So first, God's judgment on his rebellious people within this generation. So our passage takes place in the middle of Holy Week, Uh, Jesus is a few days, uh, in a few days, he's going to be betrayed, arrested, and crucified. He's been going back and forth with the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, for two chapters now. And, um, And some moments during that interaction, he's vaguely predicted that he's going to judge the Jews through the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. But right before our passage, in chapter 23 that we looked at last week, Jesus tells them more clearly what is about to happen. And talking directly to the Jews, in chapter 23, he says this, "...on you will come all the righteous blood shed on earth. Truly I say to you, all these things..." Keep it, keep that word in mind, "...these things will come upon this generation. See, your house is left to you desolate." You see, the Jewish people were not faithful. They refused to repent of their sin. They refused to accept Jesus as their Messiah. And so Jesus is being very clear with them that they are going to be judged. Now with that in mind, in our passage, Jesus is now going to be very specific about what this judgment will be and when it will happen. So chapter 24 opens this way. Jesus left the temple and was going away. "...when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, "'You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down.'" So Jesus is the glory in the presence of God. When Jesus leaves the temple here, it is a sign that God's glory in his presence is leaving the temple. And as they're leaving, the disciples are pointing out how great and wonderful the temple complex is. But Jesus tells them, as wonderful as this temple is, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. As we've just seen, Jesus has predicted this already, but now he is very clear. The judgment awaiting the Jews in this generation will be the destruction of the temple. Their house will be left to them desolate. So they leave the city, and then we're told in verse 3 As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the disciples have now had some time to mull over everything Jesus says. They leave the city, they get to the Mount of Olives, they come to him privately, and they ask him a question. Well, actually, they ask him two questions. The first question they ask is, When will these things be? So in the context of our passage, these things refers to the judgment Jesus has just predicted that is coming on this generation. This generation of Jews is going to experience every stone in the temple being thrown down and their house being left to them desolate. The second question is this, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, when the disciples ask this question, in their mind, the temple is such a significant spiritual entity that if the temple is going to be destroyed, surely that is also going to be when Jesus returns and the end of the age comes. But as you and I know, that temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. And as you and I know, Jesus has not yet returned. So these are two separate questions with two different answers. Jesus knows this. You and I know this but the disciples don't yet know this. But Jesus is going to answer their question as two separate questions for the sake of his disciples. And here's how. In verses 4-14, through 14, Jesus tells them what it's going to be like for them, for this current generation, from this current moment, when they ask him this question, until the temple is destroyed. And then in verses 15-31, through 31, Jesus describes what it will be like And immediately after, when the temple is destroyed. And that's the outline of Matthew 24, 1 through 35. And then in verse 34, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So in verse 3, the disciples ask him, when will these things be? And then from verse 4 through verse 31, Jesus answers that question and then concludes by saying, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Do you see that? That means that from verse 4 through verse 34, Jesus is answering their first question about when the temple will be destroyed. And then, in verse 36, which we're going to look at more closely next week, Jesus begins to answer their second question. Remember, their second question is, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Listen to how Jesus answers that question. He says, but. Now, but, for you English nerds, is a coordinating conjunction, right? (laughs) It contrasts and connects with what was said previously. So when Jesus says, but, that's a clear demarcation that now he's answering the second question, okay? But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus tells them in our previous chapter that we looked at last week, 2336, that judgment is coming on this generation. Their house will be left to them desolate. And that now in verse 20, chapter 24, no stone on the temple will be left on top of one another. Then the disciples ask, when will these things be? Jesus answers that question, concludes this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Their second question was, when will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answers that question and says, there won't be a sign. It's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. People are going to be eating and drinking and having a good old time. And then unexpectedly, Jesus is going to return. It will be a total surprise. That means that everything that happened in Israel this past week is not a sign of the end times. It's significant. It's even spiritually significant. There is something profound about the reality of Israel. The fact that there's still an identifiable people back in their land, that is something that is profound. But what else is profound is that they still reject their Messiah and they're still being judged for that. But our passage today is about God's judgment on his rebellious people in the generation right after Jesus walked the earth which takes us to our second point, what it was like to wait for that judgment. So verses four through 14, Jesus describes what life is going to be like for his disciples during the time leading up to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And we know that because Jesus is talking directly to his disciples. He says, you, you, you. And because he's gonna tell them in verse 34 that this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So we must read these verses with that in mind. Okay, let's look at our passage a little more closely, starting in verse 4. Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So there's going to be many false Christs. This is recorded in the book of Acts. Historians of this time period tell us all about how this was a time period filled with tons of false prophets and false messiahs? Jesus goes on. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Again, history records that this accurately describes the time period, especially around Israel, from 30 A.D. until 70 A.D. And I know what some of you might be thinking. Well, you know, Pastor Patrick, this also describes what's going on right now. Sure, I agree. But all Jesus is saying is that this is what it's going to be like for the disciples, especially in and around Israel, from the time of his crucifixion until 70 A.D. He's not saying that there won't be other times throughout history where it's like this again. Of course there will be. The book of Revelation teaches us that this is the way things are gonna be the whole time until he returns. But especially from 30 A.D. to 70 A.D. in and around Israel, it's gonna be like this. He's just letting the disciples know that from now until the temple is destroyed will be a time of turmoil. It will be a time of unrelenting seismic and political instability. What's really interesting is, the reason Jesus tells them it's going to be like this is so they don't think it's the end. In verse 6, Jesus says, even though these things are happening, the end is not yet. And then in verse 8, he says, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. This is just the way things will be. Therefore, don't put any significance into them. Jesus goes on. And as I read this, notice two things. Notice how many times Jesus says, you. So he's talking directly to his disciples. These words are for them and about them. Also notice how many times he says, then, will, or will be. Which tells us this is about the time then and what it will be like for them. Okay, starting in verse 9. Jesus is not saying that the world will only be like this for them then, but the main thrust of this passage is Jesus telling his disciples in your lifetime you're going to experience tribulation and death. Then people are going to fall away and betray one another. Then there will be false prophets and lawlessness and love for many will grow cold. Therefore you will need to endure to the end in order to be saved. And if it's ever like this for us, the same is true. But let's read this message from the first century forward, not the 21st century back. Because for the disciples, the fact that it will be like this for the next 40 years is supposed to be a constant reminder that the destruction of the temple is coming, and that no matter how bad it gets, they need to endure to the end. Don't give up. But what about verse 14? Surely verse 14 was not fulfilled before 70 AD. Let's look at verse 14. Jesus says, And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Notice he says, once this is fulfilled, then the end will come. So this is our sign, right? Once this happens, then we know, okay, the end can come at any moment. But because this was fulfilled before 70 AD, Jesus could now return at any moment. We're not waiting for any more signs. Also, notice, all that Jesus says will happen is that the gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. He doesn't say the gospel will be believed throughout the whole world and that the nations will all come to him. Also, the word world here is not the usual Greek word for world. It's a word that just means an inhabited area. So Jesus is not talking about the entire globe. He's talking about the whole known world outside of Israel. His point is not that the gospel spreads throughout the whole globe before 70 AD, but that the gospel is proclaimed on a large scale outside of Israel before 70 AD. And so this is an amazing verse, but it's an amazing verse from a first-century Jewish perspective. The testimony to all nations is that the message is for all nations— This is a message for every tribe and nation and language and tongue. And Jesus is saying that that will be made clear before the temple is destroyed. And the fact that this was fulfilled before before 70 A.D. is confirmed by the Apostle Paul in his letters. Paul writes to the Romans and he says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. In the book of Colossians, Paul mentions, the gospel has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing. It has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. That's Paul writing before 70 AD. Another reason we know that even verse 14 was fulfilled before 70 AD is because in verse 34, Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So that is what it will be like for the disciples as they wait for the destruction of the temple. They will be persecuted. There will be false teachers and false messiahs. There will be earthquakes and wars and rumors of war. And the gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations that the gospel is for them. But what was it like when the judgment finally arrived? So now as they move into verse 15. It will now become much clearer that Jesus is talking about an event in the first century. Also, Jesus is going to tell them about a specific sign that they will see, and he's going to tell them exactly how to respond to that sign, okay? He says in verse 15, so, and again that word so connects back to everything he's just said, so, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place let the reader understand then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains so Daniel old testament prophet predicted that there would be an abomination of desolation that was actually fulfilled over 150 years before Christ was born when the king of Syria attacked Jerusalem and actually actually made a sacrifice of a pig which was an unclean animal on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem, okay? And Jesus is saying that his disciples and Matthew's Jewish readers who know that history should understand that the temple is about to be destroyed when they see something like that again. That's what Jesus is saying here. In fact, when Luke, who is not writing to a Jewish audience familiar with Daniel's prophecies, When Luke tells us what Jesus says in this moment, he actually interprets Jesus' words for his non Jewish audience. This is what he says. He says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Do you see that? Luke tells us exactly what Jesus means here. So when the Roman armies are surrounding Jerusalem, the abomination of desolation has come, so get out of Judea. And notice how geographically specific Jesus is. Telling those who are in Judea to flee to the mountains only makes sense if Jesus is talking to these people at that time. Jesus goes on. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on sabbath so don't grab anything in your house if you're out in the field don't go back and get your coat it will be especially terrible uh, if you're on the run like that if you're pregnant or nursing especially if it's during winter when the roads are all muddy or on sabbath when you leave without your cloak but you can't go buy supplies it will be even worse for people in judea who don't have modern comforts or open stores on the sabbath Jesus goes on, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Patrick. Surely the destruction of Jerusalem wasn't really a great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. Well, yes and no. Uh, the kind of overstatement that Jesus uses here is very common in prophetic language. Just one quick example: in the book of Daniel, Daniel is talking about he's looking backwards at the destruction of the first temple in Jerusalem, and this is what he says: he says, "For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem." Now, is it literally true that under the whole heaven there was never done anything? like what was done to Jerusalem the first time the temple was destroyed. Well, no. But prophets used this kind of exaggeration, and Jews understood this language as simply a way of saying what will happen, or what has happened, is really bad. And I would submit to you that we still do this today. How many news reports do you hear Or the news anchor is describing the most recent earthquake or the most recent hurricane or the most recent school shooting. And the language they're using to describe it makes it sound like it's the worst thing that has ever happened. Now, why do we do that? Because at some point, words just aren't enough. At some point, things are so horrible that the only way to describe it is saying this is the worst thing that has ever happened. And we all know that's true. And I would encourage you, if you have time, I actually cut out a big, giant quote from Josephus describing the time in Jerusalem in the first century. But it was, it was terrible. It was famines. There was disease inside the city. People were walking around with bloated bellies. Old people were just falling over dead. Young people were falling over dead. It was terrible. I, I don't know how else you'd be able to describe it other than saying it's the worst thing that ever happened in the world. Jesus goes on. And again, notice how many times Jesus says you, talking to the disciples and that generation. He says, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, Look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, Look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So, in the midst of all this, there's going to be false Christs and false prophets everywhere. They're even going to be able to perform signs and wonders. But don't believe it. Why? Because when Jesus comes back, it's going to be like lightning stretching as far across the sky as you can see. It will be unmistakable. You don't have to even worry your little heart about it. You will have no doubt that he's come back. Just like when you see vultures, you have no doubt there's a dead body down there. It's a little bit graphic of an example, but it's appropriate given the context. Now, in verses 29 to 31. Jesus will continue to describe what all will take place before this generation passes away. He goes on, immediately after the tribulation of those days. This happens immediately after the tribulation of those days. And when Jesus says, when he says this, he's referring to everything he's just said (laughs) about the temple being destroyed. And the language, see we have to pay attention to the language Jesus uses and where he gets it from. The language here again is prophetic language. This time it's language symbolic of judgment. One quick example. Speaking of judgment... To Egypt, long before Jesus, God said this through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, When I blot you out, talking to Egypt, I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give its light. You see, Jesus is just borrowing language from the Old Testament to describe the judgment that happened to Israel. Now, when Jesus says, And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Yeah, there we go. When Jesus says that, first of all, he uses a different— and I wish I had time to get into all this, you guys— he uses a different Greek word here for coming. There's other times in this passage where he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man, and he's clearly talking about the second coming— well, our English translations don't help us here by using the same English word, but that's actually a different Greek word. It's the common Greek word. It can mean coming, it can mean going, just depending on the context. Second of all, he's quoting Daniel 7.13 here, which is not about Jesus' second coming. It's about Jesus entering into Kevin to receive his kingdom. So the sign of the Son of Man is is not Jesus arriving in the clouds to return to earth at the end of the time. The sign is for them. He says that. Then they will see the Son of Man. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, that's when the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and they will see the sign, which is the destruction of Jerusalem that signals the end of the age of the Jews and the enthronement of Jesus in heaven as ruler of the church. And when that happens, Jesus will send out his messengers to gather the elect from the four corners of the earth, which we all know has been happening for the last 2,000 years. And what everyone saw in heaven with great power and glory when the temple was destroyed was that Jesus is king. That's what they saw. And the reason they saw that is because Jesus predicted it would happen, because they rejected him. And what he predicted in detail would happen, happened. It all came true, and when it did, they really did see Jesus coming on the clouds to take his throne in heaven, where he is ruling and reigning right now. Okay, I am sure that was like drinking out of a fire hydrant. I would encourage you to go back and listen to this again after Nate posts it. Because right now, I believe this is one of the most important messages we can hear. Because there's a lot of talk right now about is this the end times? And all of that talk is meant to distract us from what is actually important. Because the point is, the point of this passage is, which gets lost in all of our end times speculation. The point of this passage is this is how God deals with his unfaithful people. The Jews were his chosen people. And they had rejected him. And then Jesus judged them very harshly. And when we use this passage to get caught up in end times fever, we miss the point. Which is... Are you right with God? Have you repented of your sins and put your trust in Jesus alone for salvation? Or are we being like the Jews, thinking that just because we've been baptized or made profession of faith that we don't have to live a life of ongoing daily repentance where we put to death our choice sins and trust in Jesus crying out, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. That's the moment my moment daily life of a Christian. As sweet as it was when we sung it earlier, that's how God intends it to be for us every moment of every day. Also, one of the major themes in the book of Matthew is that salvation produces a faithful life. Those who are alive in the kingdom of heaven will produce fruit in keeping with repentance. It's those who walk the narrow road and do the will of the Father who will enter the kingdom of heaven. One must take up his cross and follow Jesus to be his disciple. And what happened to the Jews is meant to be a warning for us, friends. And all of that gets lost. All of the sweetness of God drawing his people who are so tempted to, to drift away from him. All of the sweetness of that gets lost when we speculate on things that Jesus has clearly told us we ought not to speculate on. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. He says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention We who have the full revelation of God and Christ must pay must much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels, talking about the Old Testament, proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If God was willing to destroy the Jewish people, even though He had given them the law and the prophets and the covenants and all of His many great, wonderful promises, how shall we escape if we neglect an even greater salvation? Friends, we must take Jesus' call to take up our cross and follow Him, to cut off our hand and gouge out our eye, if that's what it takes, very seriously. We, too, must endure to the end to be saved. And to do that, we look to him for his constant mercy. Because not a single one of us can do that in our own strength. Not a single one of us can do that on our own. The only way to do it is to remain in a posture towards him, pleading for more grace and more grace and more mercy and more mercy, knowing that if it weren't for his grace and mercy, what happened to the Jews would happen to us. So let us repent of our sins, put our faith in Jesus Christ, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He could return any moment. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you, God, for your word, which reminds us of the things that are important. It helps keep us from distraction. God, please, God, Cause us to be those who spend our lives in repentance and faith toward you, prostrate if necessary, pleading for your mercy and grace, which we know and have confidence in Christ, we will receive. In his name we pray, amen.